I guess it's a, it's a bit awkward because, you know, it's a picture book. You know, maybe I can describe the, the pictures. And so, you know, there's a ball and it has energy. And then we have another ball that's on the ground. And so it has no energy. Uh, and then we look at a microscope and we see that all balls are made of atoms. And atoms are made of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Because there's just these discrete steps that the electron can be at, when it moves between them, just like when a ball falls to the ground, it has to release some energy. And so when it moves down, it releases energy. And that amount of energy is exact. And it's this little packet of energy called a quanta. This is Chris Ferry. He's a quantum physicist at the Centre for Quantum Software and Information at the University of Technology, Sydney. And I guess I'm probably more famous for writing quantum physics for babies. Which you probably know because of this guy. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg shared a cute picture of him with his newborn daughter. The new dad recently shared a photo of himself with wife Priscilla Chan reading a quantum physics book to their two-week-old daughter Maxima. Two years ago, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg was pictured reading Chris's book to his two-week-old daughter. It sent the internet into overdrive, with many commentators talking about the value of introducing science at such an early age. That and the fact Zuck's young daughter appears to be asleep, maybe from the book, maybe from just being a baby. But are you doomed for failure if your parents haven't read you books about quantum physics from day dot? How can we get kids more engaged in STEM education? Hi, I'm Ellen Liebeter and this is Think Digital Futures. So what is STEM education anyway? This is producer Shane Anderson. STEM is science, technology, engineering and maths. And we've spent a lot of time on this series talking about the future of jobs and how technology is taking over the world. Well, fingers crossed, no. (laughs) And also how we're transitioning from an industrial economy to a knowledge economy. We need more people who can make tech stuff to be creators, not consumers. Do you know how your phone works? Do you know how to program a website? Could you build a quantum computer? These are the sorts of skills you'll need in the knowledge and tech economy, and Australia's lagging behind. The federal government recently released the National Scientific Statement, which sets out a vision to make Australia more of a science and tech hub. Critically, it found that enrolments in STEM subjects at school are at their lowest level in 20 years. Which doesn't translate well into university. In 2014, 18% of graduates were in the field of STEM. Compare that to arts, education and management, which make up about 65% of graduates. We're relying on a tiny sliver of our population to drive the knowledge economy. So how are we going to change it? Well, Chris Ferry's idea was to start his kids young. If I look at the books that my kids have, I mean, the oldest is seven, so she's starting to read chapter books, but most of them are picture books. And it's all about animals and, and farms. And, and it's not even accurate. A farm doesn't look like that anymore. It's not one, one barn with a silo and there's one cow and you know one chicken. And I, I find it odd that they can recognize a lion and a giraffe when they probably will never see one in their life. But certainly they're going to see a phone that has billions of transistors in it. It's more likely that they're going to come to the uni and I'll take them to a lab and and they'll see superconducting magnets or something. It's far more likely that they're going to see these things than they are going to see a puffin 
which they can recognize for some reason and tell the difference between that and a penguin. They could probably tell me what it sounds like, but wh- why is that? Why is what that? is a puffin anyway? <laughs> I don't even know that. It's like a bird that looks kind of like if you imagine like a penguin cross with like a dodo. Do we even bird. have them in Australia? Not in Australia, okay, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a funny looking bird. So. <laughs> you could compare it to learning a language. They're just easier to pick up when you're a kid. Now, Chris acknowledges that he's not pushing his kids in either direction. He just reads them these picture books amongst all the other books kids read. But they have begun to soak up some of the concepts. Uh, On the way to school today, my three-year-old was just walking, just saying quantum physics, quantum physics. I don't know why. (laughs) Uh, I guess he thought it was a funny-sounding thing. Um, I was doing some origami with my five-year-old, and he chose this complicated one that had like 100 instructions and needed three pieces of paper and I said I don't know I think this one might be too hard and he said maybe it's like your quantum physics (laughs) (laughs) now this is all well and good if your dad is a quantum physicist but what happens when your kid starts asking those nosy questions and you don't know the answer as much as this book is for kids it's for parents as well about getting them interested in this topic and their child's learning but also about creating that spark of curiosity they might ask you some question, right? They might say, okay, well, it says everything's made of atoms. What are atoms made of? Well, we can go online now and, and, and do that. So the resources are available. Probably telling a child what atoms are made of or what protons are made of is far less useful than guiding them through the process of searching for it. The, the skill to, say, go and find the information for yourself is far more valuable than the actual information that you found. And for the record, atoms are made of quarks. What are quarks made out of? Well, you know what to do. So this curiosity is not just something we should be fostering at home. We need to bring it into the classroom as well. The average five-year-old asks something like 200 questions a day. Why, why, why? So we actually need to really capture that kind of interest. This is Jane Hunter, a senior lecturer in the School of Education at the University of Technology, Sydney. She's a former teacher, and now she works in teacher education. A teacher's teacher. Exactly. She says that there's a number of challenges getting in the way of teaching STEM in schools. STEM learning is clearly not an issue of kids being interested, and teachers want to give students the best education they can. But it's not so easy in practice. Jane Hunter says a huge barrier to teaching STEM can sometimes be the technology itself. Distance is an issue. Connectivity is an issue. We need to have, at a very minimum, really good Wi-Fi in schools. So we can't buy the tools if the Wi-Fi is not going to support that. Think of how frustrated you feel when the internet goes down at home or work. We tend to think it's schools in the more remote areas of Australia that struggle to get online, but it's a problem in the city as well. We have a state that's as big as Germany, but I also know that within one kilometre from the CBD, there are schools where the Wi-Fi is woeful. And if I want to do a presentation or if I want to do anything a little bit tricky, it doesn't work. Teachers have to be prepared for the Wi-Fi to drop out. It may seem small and teachers are generally prepared for anything, but something like this does have a big impact on a student's learning. You lose the interest of your class. If you can't actually, you know, show that fabulous digital photo that you have that you've built your lesson around, then that's going to create problems for you in terms of getting your class back on track. Bad Wi-Fi makes it hard for teachers to do their job. 
But perhaps the biggest barrier to STEM education could actually be the education system itself. Schools are going to a huge effort to integrate STEM into education. Look at the way technology is integrated into classrooms. Just 10 years ago, students were using pen and paper. Now students are expected to have a laptop or a tablet. And this isn't actually the problem. This is a huge benefit and it opens up lots of opportunities for students to learn at their own pace. This is Peter Orbison, Professor of Education at UTS. One of the case study schools, for example, is using iPads from 7 to 8 and then using laptops from 9 and 10. What it does is it provides, on each topic, it provides a short quiz or test for students at the start of each topic. Students do the quiz and then they make a decision about what level at which they want to attack the problem. So they might do a topic in um, perhaps on earthquakes. They might say, look, I'm, I'm not really prepared to do this at the highest level. I might do this at the knowledge level. They can use the technology to allow them to individualise the learning they do. The problem comes in years 11 and 12. So we're great at integrating tech from 7 to 10, but because final exams are handwritten, schools switch back to pen and paper in the last two years. I mean, it's educationally idiotic, but what the school found was that if they used technology as much as they were doing, then the students were not so able to write quickly and efficiently enough to answer some of the questions on exams when they had to write by hand. What's more, Peter says this is a huge roadblock to effective STEM learning. It seems a bizarre situation that we're encouraging an innovative and technologically capable society and we still sit thousands of people down at the same time each year to do an examination by writing by hand. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't design that. This is an artefact of the analogue way of thinking about education, but we need to start thinking digitally if we're really going to embed STEM education. Thinking digitally is more than just writing an exam essay using a keyboard and a word processor. Here's Jane Hunter again. If I walk into a classroom and I see every child on a laptop, sitting in a row, taking notes on their laptop, then that's a $1,000 pencil. It's not just about having more STEM subjects or about buying lots of up-to-date technology. It's how you use it. Peter thinks simply dropping technology into a classroom isn't going to cut it. Why would you suddenly expect if you just dump iPads in a school for everybody to suddenly perform better at mathematics? It'd be much more realistic to expect them to be collaborating more effectively, to be able to present their ideas more effectively, to be able to perhaps design anima animations and clever ways to deal with and work with ideas. It goes back to that idea of how we want to use technology. Do we want to create it or consume it? Do you want your kids to be using laptops passively to take notes on something they'll forget in a week's time? Or do you want your kids to be building their own devices? You'll hear more after the break. Just words. Finding the line between free speech and protecting the vulnerable. You can't say or do anything anymore, otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts. Why is this the pressing issue of our time? Just Words is an original 2SER series. This new podcast goes beyond the hype and headlines of our race discrimination laws and gets the true stories from those that have used 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act those that have had it used against them. 
New episodes will be released every Monday, starting from February 27. To listen, just head to iTunes or your favourite podcast app and search for Just Words. Subscribe today. This is Think Digital Futures. Today we're looking at how we can get more kids engaged in STEM education, science, technology, engineering and maths. Unfortunately for kids today, we've been left with an archaic education system. The bell rings, you sit at your desk in a small room, you sit still for 30, 40, 50 minutes listening to your teacher talk. You do a closed book exam that's meant to gauge how well you soaked up that information and that's what's meant to set you up for the workforce. This model was great a couple of decades ago when it was meant to turn you into an obedient factory worker. Now it's hardly the environment to inspire creativity and leadership. I firmly believe that this current education system is all about producing factory workers. Essentially, factory workers in a knowledge-based economy. We're no longer in a knowledge-based economy. We're in an innovation economy, an economy that really doesn't care about what you know, but an economy that cares about what you do with what you know. This is Taj Pabari. He's a 17-year-old entrepreneur and founder of a company called 56, which allows kids to build their own tablet computers. Think Lego 2.0. Taj says he was one of those disengaged kids sitting in the back of the classroom. And by the time primary school was up, he had been suspended three times. But he was a seriously dedicated kid at home. He started his first website at age 11, a tech blog for kids by kids. It was one particular project at school that gave him the idea to start 56. I just remember that one assessment task that I absolutely thrived in. That was basically a project-based assessment task. I absolutely loved it. It gave me the freedom of the topic I wanted to pick, how I wanted to present it, and it just gave me the power to take ownership of my learning. And from there, Taj realised he wanted to help empower other young kids to take control of their education. thought, you know what, how can we create a new way for young people to connect create the world we live in rather than just consumer. And obviously we had a look through the jobs of the future and it was very clear that skills such as digital literacy, entrepreneurship, creativity skills were going to be the jobs of the future. Young people are growing up in a world of uncertainty. They're going to have to tackle some really tough problems about housing affordability, the rise of artificial intelligence and, of course, climate change. Peter Orbison says scientific literacy is key to empowering young people to start making a change. Sometimes they're the everyday decisions we make, whether to vaccinate a child, is an everyday decision that depends on our capacity to understand the arguments and the evidence that's available in the media. It also affects the well-being of the community as a whole. On the other hand, there are other key factors, such as global warming, and understanding what science has to tell us about that and what logical decisions in a, of a democracy in particular, scientific literacy is critical to the capacity of governments to make the right decisions. We're probably going to have to rethink our education system in order to boost the engagement and results of young people. We probably also have to rethink how we measure those results. In the short term, teachers can be the catalyst for training the mind how to think. A five-year-old might ask a simple question in a class like, you know, why does the sun follow me? It's a beautiful question. It's a rich question that can be explored in science. But I can understand why a teacher might think, oh my God, how am I going to deal with that question? The first thing is you have to reshape the question to something that you can investigate because you can't investigate a question like why does the sun follow me directly? And then you have to know something about the sun and the movement of the earth and, and you have to decide how do you deal with a question like this with a five-year-old? But this all has to start at the beginning. Science literacy education starts from the moment you can begin to think independently. Children begin by reaching out and touching things and through their senses. So they're immediately curious and want to know things. 
age is no barrier to STEM learning. Jane Hunter believes children should be introduced to STEM as soon as they enter school. STEM learning looks like a lot of hands-on works. Things like using digital cameras, conducting simple experiments, making artefacts, simple circuits, for example, and also teaching coding skills. So that's something that can start from kindergarten. It's a joint effort between parents and kids. Just as teachers can't plonk kids on a laptop and expect them to become computer programmers, parents can't just give kids an app and expect them to be quantum physicists. Chris Ferry again. The value of buying a STEM toy or book or something is extremely low if the parents aren't dedicated to helping them. So you, know, you can't read quantum physics for babies and then expect that you're raising a quantum physicist. Maybe I'll make an app and you just give the kid the iPad and they go away. I mean, the parents have to be involved. And if you've moved up a reading level from quantum physics for babies, Chris says he's got a new book coming out soon based on Schrodinger's cat. Think quantum physics for seven-year-olds. As my oldest gets older, I'm seeing the books that she's reading and thinking, maybe I can put a science spin on that. And so one that I wrote is called The Cat in the Box. So Schrodinger's cat, it's actually pretty horrible. Someone should have changed this a long ago. So Erwin Schrodinger was trying to illustrate to Einstein and his colleagues that there was something wrong in the way we were interpreting quantum physics. And so he said, take a cat and put it in the box and put a vial of poison in the box, an atom. And when the atom decays, it breaks the vial of poison and the cat dies. But if we describe it with quantum mechanics, then the atom decaying or not decaying is in what is called a superposition. So people say it's in both at the same time rather than one or the other. You know, it's kind of a nice rhyming story. It goes through describing describing the paradox and how we might resolve it. Futures is a collaboration between the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER. For more info, visit 2SER.com forward slash Think Digital Futures. I'm Shane Anderson. I'm Ellen Leibeter. Bye for now. <laughs>